You are listening to episode 58. On today's episode, I get to interview Danny Cooper. I met Danny through a networking outdoor mental health event run by the Well Collaborative. And I'm sure as some of you have been listening to my podcast lately, I've had quite a few women from the Well Collaborative on this podcast. And I have to say, they're an inspirational group of women. So if you are in the city of Saskatoon, you should definitely join this collective group. But Danny was one of them. I met her at this outdoor event and she is a mortgage broker, self-employed, but also part of the Mint Mortgage Group brand in Saskatoon. And I was very curious to ask her about the housing market and trends. And I just thought this is someone I want to know more about. Little did I know that she has a very diverse background, starting from doing sales in the automotive industry to doing this mortgage brokerage, all the way to actually starting her own charity. You get to hear about her journey and more on today's episode. And by the way, if you've been enjoying these episodes, I would love if you would subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review and let me know, how are you enjoying these episodes? Are they impacting you in any way? And you can also subscribe to me on Spotify. Now on with the episode. everyone and welcome to the Okiki podcast and today I'm really excited to have a special guest Danny Cooper. I actually met Danny at an event run by the well in my city and she said that she's a mortgage broker and I was really curious to pick her brain because I'm sure if you've seen anything in real estate right now it's been a very interesting time and I just figured this was someone I'd like to learn a lot more about and probably has a lot of value to share with the audience so thank you so much Danny for uh, being on the show today. Well thank you for having me. Just so you all know, Danny is a mortgage broker, self-employed, but she's part of the Mint Mortgage Broker brand. And also she had a successful career with the automotive industry. It's completely different. And then she also runs a charity, a registered charity uh, called the Family Fertility Fund of Saskatchewan. So there's a lot going on on your end, Danny, and I'd love to learn more about you. And what exactly was your educational path and career journey that led you into kind of these different hats that you carry today? I have a pretty, I call it a vanilla story. I grew up in Saskatoon, two parents, grew up in Parkridge, went to high school, went to university, into arts and science, because that's what you did when you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I did not finish my arts and science degree. Um, university was a little bit more of a challenge than I thought because high school wasn't. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have the best study skills, if I'm being honest. And I was also later diagnosed with ADHD later in life. So that could maybe have something to do with it. But I wasn't very good at staying in boxes or being told what to do or doing it on anybody else's schedule but my own. So um, that didn't work out very well. I got into sales quite quickly during university. Um, and I was offered a pretty decent job. So I did leave university early prior to finishing. 
I spent five years in the automotive industry, selling cars and then going into auto finance. And from there, I left in 2016. And that's when I signed my contract um, with Mint Mortgage. And the rest is kind of history. So yeah, it's just a little bit I'm more I need to be like hands on in work learning while I'm doing. And that's just something that I had to um, acknowledge about myself and accept mm. instead of fighting the good fight and trying to be someone I'm not. So mm. that's kind of how it happened. And I'm really passionate about helping people get financially ahead and realizing what they can and cannot afford and the reason why they can't or can, or just, yeah. So I'm really, some of my favorite things to do is credit counsel people for a couple of years and then get them into a home and they broke the rental cycle is probably one of the biggest love moments of my career, but that's really interesting because, well, I think we've kind of had our own dialogue around that, but just finding out, you know, neurodiversity and, and how that even impact your experiences. Because I, as I told you, I also was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult at that. So I did do university, but it was quite challenging. As you mentioned, it wasn't like a fun time. Like some people say, did you miss school? I'm like, no, <laughs> that learning style didn't really <laughs> cater to me, but somehow miraculously got through it. That, that in itself you. felt like, Give yourself like a, the <laughs> yeah, it felt like an achievement. Right. But it's totally like neurodiversity and talking about how your mind works and how you actually do are very strong in other areas as well. And that's another thing that isn't always acknowledged. So the fact that you had creative mind, like you said, you didn't feel like being in a box and therefore but you did super well in sales, uh, car sales. And I find that interesting that from there you wanted to challenge yourself more and be more involved with people. And so you figured that being a mortgage broker would actually give you more of that. You know, cars are, yes, they're a necessity, but car payments are getting quite expensive. And I just really wanted to help people get into a home. And the, mm. and I, that was just, I don't know, it was, more important for me to, I wanted to be a part of like the biggest moment of their life. Like that is the biggest mm -hmm. thing that most people will do in their life is purchase their home, picking out the home, the neighborhood they're going to live in, how long it will take them to save for that home. It is a lot of money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars is never, you know, it's just been a crazy thought in my mind. You know, I grew up in Saskatoon, so I remember when houses were a hundred thousand and not 400,000. So it's just been a little bit of a different dynamic in the world now. And people do need some guidance to be able to afford those things. And if they aren't getting that from a parent or a mentor, they do need a resource. That's really interesting. So when you were, yeah, branching into that field, I know that, again, you're with a brand, but what were some of the initiatives that you had to take, I guess, to make yourself known to not only that brand that this is something you're passionate about, but to those clients to say, hey, I actually really want to help you with this journey and this experience that I guess in our generation, we can't just take for granted or it doesn't come as easily no, <laughs> compared to previous years. No, it doesn't come as easily. And especially, unfortunately, you can say the C word, the COVID word. You know, there is helping people navigate spousal buyouts because, you know, relationships do break down or um, estate planning. If there is, you know, an illness in the family or if there's been a death, there's a lot more that goes into it than just that initial really exciting purchase moment. People's homes are their home and it's it carries a lot of their life in it. So you end up being on the road with them through a lot of different um, journeys as well, which is can be an honor. And um, also it can be a hard time for some people if marriages break down or there's illnesses or 
sickness in the world, but it is part of life. And if you can kind of make that transition the easiest for someone, then you can lighten their load a little bit. So um, I really was passionate about Mint um, Mortgage. The founder, Sarah Sheath, was the only one I wanted to work with. So my only window to meet her was a 6 a.m. coffee and I took it and I was like, listen, I want to work for you. And that is just how it's going to be. So um, she took me on and she mentored me and it's been a life-changing experience. And she gave me the freedom to pass, to open up my time a little bit too, and not work 80 hours a week, like the car industry. And that what gave me the freedom to start the foundation too. So my life changed a lot in the last five years. That's just the last five years. I also wanted to ask what were some of the values that really attracted you to working with that mentor in terms of how you wanted to really shape your career? Because it, it seems like it was something you really thought out before you just went into the industry. It was her background, where she came from, how she treats people. Our motto is that every mortgage has a story. Like there's no, it's not a number. It is a human component. People can have past, people can have things that happened to them or they've done things to affect their, you know, financial security or credibility or whatever you want to call it. But everyone is human and everyone has stories and those stories are important. It's not just black and white sometimes on the page. Mm. A lot of the policies and procedures it is, but there's a story that you can, um, you can get to know someone and you can, I don't know, she was very, you know, she's worked her whole way up and she's done everything herself. And wow. They just she's an inspiration to me and the way that she treats people was the biggest thing and I was like I want to work for that company I don't want I don't want to work for a company that's like well if you're not spending three hundred thousand dollars I don't have time for you or if you're not spending four hundred thousand dollars I don't have time for you or I know I'm not saying that there's people out there like that but I was really really wanting to align myself with people that the human component was there and that was one of the biggest that was the biggest thing for me that's really interesting and what were some of the biggest, I guess, learning curves and obstacles for you when you first joined into this space? I know I've seen this one lady on TikTok. I, I believe she has a mortgage brokerage too, and she's gotten quite popular and she was just teaching lessons. And it was really fascinating because there's so much I, I wanted to learn about real estate and she just made it so accessible. And it was also, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's just my perspective, different seeing a lady who was leading something like that. So um. I was curious about your perspective too. And like, yeah. It was crazy when I first got licensed, a lot of the rules had just changed. Mm. Um, time and every time, anytime any regulatory body changes the rules regarding um, mortgages, every, then media jumps on board. And there's a lot of fear in people that, you know, the next generation is never going to be able to buy a house and they're changing this and they're changing that. So I got in at a really weird time where I was just licensed and had about a month to get people into the old rules or they would have to qualify in the new rules. And it was a pretty drastic swing at that time in 2016. Mm. Um, and they were going, the province was going away with the grad retention program. So there's mm. a lot of people that, you know, were banking on that for their down payment. And then it went away very quickly when they make the decision. It's not like they give you a six month. Oh, by the way, in six months, we'll be taking that away. So it was a pretty hectic um, time. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. But like anything, if you break it down into chunks and you learn from the right people, and there are some people that are amazing trainers that I personally wouldn't be able to learn from. You have to find someone that can teach the way that you learn, in my professional opinion. Some people are textbook studiers. Some people are learned by doing. And you sort of find someone that will break it down for you the way that you learn. But it was refreshing and it was a challenge and it was really fun. And 
I will never forget the first time a mortgage application came in from a referral, like to me specifically, those feelings will, you know, the first time you got to see someone take the keys of their first house. Those are things that I don't think I'll ever, will ever get old or ever, mm. I'll ever forget. That's a really good note. And that, it kind of segues into, I guess, another question related to that. So one of the conversations we had was about how COVID obviously affected the housing market. Now, initially, I, from my, my own logic, I, I would have thought, oh, nobody's going to buy anything, but it seems to be the opposite. <laughs> and I'm hearing like record high home buying, not only in like, you know, the States or like Canada, but even in Saskatoon. So for some of our audience listening, who's even just curious about learning more about the space or if it's ever crossed their mind, I was just curious, uh, about you sharing your perspective on this, given that you're actually in this space. And do you have any idea why this is happening and what has, how has that affected the people you work with? I think that obviously COVID impacts a lot of people with their jobs, but for the people that weren't impacted and they, you know, they got to transfer, they got to pivot quickly and work from home, or maybe they were working from home prior to that. And that was just their life or they could kind of, you know, work from wherever. And when place shut down and there wasn't as many coffee shops to go work in, then they're working from their kitchen table. Right. But what I feel the biggest tipping point was interest rates were historically low and people weren't spending those $2,000, $5,000, $10,000 vacations anymore. So that's almost a down payment rate there on you know a few vacations. What mm. well, I don't think people realized either what um, that muffin and coffee in the morning costs every day mm. and going out for lunch, if you're not just going to grab a wrap for $8, but maybe you're going to a sit down restaurant. Well, chances are with you know, a pop and a tip and a tax and everything that's $30. And mm. trust me, I love a good lunch out. So mm-hmm. um, it's just bad. But when you compound that and parking downtown near gas, what people were spending a month in just incidentals that you don't even really notice that you're doing when you're at home, when you're locked down and you can't do those things anymore, you don't realize that they can add up to hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. And that can maybe be the difference between a $300,000 purchase and a $400,000 purchase. Mm. And that mortgage payment difference is what they were paying in coffees and incidentals. But that bigger house gets them that one more bedroom with the office and they can work from home with the door shut with mm. kids rather than at the <laughs> living room table or the kitchen table or anything like that. So I think that people's mm. priorities shifted a little bit. So you're saying like even, I guess from your opinion, uh, of course, driving, like if they had to drive into, you know, their office every day, that would add up a lot. But even things as small as like having that reduced coffees or those reduced lunches out really gave them that much more financial leverage in terms of home buying. That's yeah. r- really interesting. Yeah. So do you think that's why it's just kind of skyrocketed everywhere? And- well, I also and this is I mean, I it could be whatever. I have no idea if I'm correct here, but I also <laughs> Um, most people and the way that the families are these days, both parents are typically working, kids are, you know, in three different activities and people are just like ships in the night and they're just passing each other and they're barely spending any time in their homes. Mm. So during, and maybe it was like, Hey, yeah, this is our starter home. We're never going to stay here. But then 10 years down the road, they're like, it'll do. But then a year into staying at your home every day and it wasn't your dream home and it didn't actually fit your needs or your wants. And after you sat in it for a year, because it's the first time you ever spent any time in your house. That's a really good like, point. This is not my happy place and I <laughs> want something else. Yeah. You know, maybe and it forced people to finish those basements that never finished them. And it, you know, because they needed that space and they had the time to do it because mm. those recreational things were cut down to nothing almost. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that people, it was the first time they could sit in their home and realize if it brought them joy or if it brought them anxiety or, you know, any of those things. So I think people are just like, if I'm not going to be able to travel and do anything, I'm either going to do a rental to make my house the way I want it, or I'm going to sell it and buy the house I want. So yeah. people that push, I believe for the people that weren't affected financially, mm-hmm. like with their jobs. Really good points you brought up that, yeah, I, I didn't think of it that way. And of course, this probably comes from you working with your clients and really understanding their story and their experience. Like, yes, you're in this home every day. Like, does it feel good anymore? Is it kind of uncomfortable now? Like all of those factors. I, I don't know if this is um, another area you work in too, but I remember asking you about even commercial real estate and like, like, do you think they're having similar things to, you know, the homes are, is it completely different? I don't do commercial mortgages a whole heck of a lot, truthfully, but I would suspect that it could be a challenge because there's a lot of businesses that aren't going back to work They're They've made contingency plans and they're, they're allowing their workers to work from home if that's what they would prefer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, again, with a lot of businesses too, if people are working from home, we are not paying that coffee guy to come around and fill up the coffee pot with you know whatever those you're not paying the colligan man to bring the colligan you're not paying the rugs to get cleaned at the front door because there's not there's, there's there was no foot traffic for a year in a lot of those commercial mm. towers so I feel like people forget how much um, the soft costs are to running a business right I gave him the toilet paper I hate to say it but yeah. like power like everything costs yeah. money and yeah, when you yeah. have those expenses and people are you know they're using their own washrooms. They're using their own coffee. They're because they're working from home. That actually can cut down an overhead. Yeah, significantly. And so, yeah. And, and thank you for sharing that, Danny. Because I bring that up because I think unless my listeners are having regular conversations with people like you, these are a lot of factors that they may not think about. And I think it is a really interesting situation. So I guess for you as you know, a self-employed mortgage broker, this was actually a very busy time, I would assume, uh, because of all of these changes happening. And it it was, and we're, we were digital since I started five years ago. So really like we all had our offices downtown, we all had our office at home. So our lives didn't change much at all, minus more Zoom meetings and then not in, in person. But a yeah. lot of people with their busy schedules chose to do Zoom anyway. So my working life did not change, unfortunately. Not not too much. I was curious too, even as you're saying that with Zoom, has has your business always been focused on local clients or or do you do across Canada? And and was that something that expanded, I guess, as a result of the whole digital situation as well? We yeah, we've always been digital, so we can um, we can definitely um, do mortgages nationally. So, um, we do, I would say that the bulk of my clients are Saskatoon and area and Regina. Um, so they're pro- more provincial, um, mint mortgage as a whole, like we do have, cause even if you don't mean to, sometimes, you know, if your first client might be with you for five years in Saskatoon and then move somewhere else. And then they, if, you know, they tell their friends about you, so then you might have a pocket in Calgary. And if one of them moves somewhere else, then it kind of grows organically. If, yeah, yeah. Um, if clients are happy with you. So I wouldn't say if it grew because of COVID because um, mm. we've always been digital that way. So it, it wouldn't have impacted how we, how we conducted business on a daily basis. So I don't think that that changed our like national stage at all. Really interesting and really good to know because a lot of the businesses that were positioned digitally were the ones that of course did very well. 
I also want to talk about another passion of yours, because as you mentioned, since becoming a mortgage broker, you had more freedom and control with your time and you were able to work on other passions, including this charity, which I have so much respect for that you're that you found it and you're running because a nonprofit is not an easy thing no. to even let alone a charity to manage. So do you mind yeah, sharing that with our audience and that process? And yeah, I'd love to just really give you a chance to talk about that. Sure. Um, the process was pretty naive, if I'm being honest. I knew that I, you know, I was always someone that went to every fundraiser I was, you know, invited to. And I believe that when you have a, you know, when you can, you should support your community. But I knew that I always kind of wanted to take a bigger initiative and run one. But I was struggling for many years and what that would look like and what where those funds would go to. I have a very huge community of really amazing, supportive people in my life. So I was like, well, I can throw parties and donate money which is basically the naive starting of it, thinking that I could just throw parties and donate money. It turns out it's a lot more work than that, Um, and which I found out after the ball was already rolling, so it was too late to turn back. And then in doing finance and seeing uh, the financial toll of some couples going through infertility, Mm. I personally don't have children, nor do I have the desire to have children of my own, but I firmly believe that women should have choice in their lives and that choice shouldn't come with a $20,000 price tag. So I reached out to a girlfriend of mine that we'd previously worked together serving, putting ourselves to university. Um, And she'd gone through secondary infertility and wrote a blog about it and was pretty vocal about her, her challenges Mm -hmm. and her journey. And so I reached out to her and said, Hey, I have this idea. I think that we should raise money and donate to families in Saskatchewan going through infertility. And she was like, well, you're crazy. And why would you want me? And she's like, I don't know how to start a charity. And I was like, well, either do I, but we're going to hmm. work. And so we, cool. she jumped on board that day over coffee and she's like, you know what? Yeah, sure. I'm in. And we met with, we, then we started researching how to start a nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we were at. And we met with the one um, doctor at the fertility clinic here and just asked their kind of guidance and their take, like, do you think that we're crazy? Do you think this is something that um, is a needed B could be done regarding privacy laws and all, all that good stuff. And yeah, yeah. She almost had tears in her eyes and she was like, absolutely. Like this is so needed. So, you know, giving that, like they were very supportive. They aren't involved in the charity at all, but we just thought that that would be a good, you know, ask if it was needed. Um, yeah. So they were like, absolutely. So we went and they gave us the name of another lady that um, worked for Global the New at the time. And so she jumped on board as a co-founding member as well. And so we kind of, the three of us back in 20, so the idea when it came to me, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, when I met with Kelsey's beginning of 2017, we were registered by July and we funded our first family that Christmas and they had twins. Oh my goodness. That money was real hard though. Cause no one knew anything about what we were trying to do. So we were raising, we, we were flipping burgers outside of Canadian tire on weekends, but wow, we've um, gone up from there. So <laughs> we're no longer flipping burgers on the weekend. Oh my goodness. Well, there's so much to that. I mean, first of all, it's an interesting space because like, how do you connect with those families on such a vulnerable topic to be like, hey, we want to help you out. And 
like there's so many I feel like there could be a whole other podcast on that (laughs) and like how did you even get into a vulnerable space like that and make the connections with those families who could really use the funding how do you actually explain that this is what your organization is doing and like yeah we're literally raising money for people to spend on this like there's just so many interesting questions within that and then how did it feel to have that first family go oh my gosh, we were actually able to have children because of you guys. Like that must be an overwhelming feeling. I think that, well, A, I have to say that when we launched this and we were like, hey, infertility community, we are here. We will A, give us grace because we don't really know what we're doing, but B, we want to help. And we're not sure how that's going to look in the, <laughs> at the start. They were so welcoming. That community is full of freaking warriors, pardon my French. These women and these men have walked through hell and back and they still have a smile on their face sometimes which is shocking to me um Mm. they've been great they've welcomed us with open arms they've given us positive feedback they've given us negative feedback when we need it they've been just super incredible so that wasn't an issue at all some people were like thank you so much for opening up a conversation about this because it's getting more common now but even four years ago when we started the foundation there wasn't as much knowledge out there in the groups of people that I know that it's one in six couples in Canada right now. So that's, you can't tell me that you don't know someone that's going through it because you do. Um, yeah, definitely. You know it or not, you do. Yeah. Um, wow. And some, and some couples spend up to a hundred thousand or more. Like that's a lot of money. The average treatment cost I would say is about 15. Yeah. Depending on what you're doing, but that's no guarantee either. And some people are doing three, four, five rounds of that. That's such an interesting space. <laughs> I honestly, like, we'll have to have an off-channel chat about that, about that. But no, uh, I, I didn't realize it was that high. But of course, I know a lot of couples who've gone through that. So even you giving me the, that data is super helpful to, yeah, try and be, you know, as empathetic and compassionate as I can with some of these individuals I meet for sure. Yeah. And then even structurally too, there's so much that goes into a nonprofit. I know there's usually boards involved. And then you talked about getting the, you know, being a charity so you can actually do, you know, the tax receipts and everything. So I guess someone listening to you and seeing, oh my gosh, Danny's, you know, doing her self-employment and she's really doing super well with the mortgage brokerage. And she managed to start this charity like, where do I begin? What if they have like a, a feeling in their heart that they want to really help with a cause? What would you advise them on how to start with that and, and where to go? It depends on how deep you want to go. If you want to volunteer almost a full-time job for the rest of your life, then start one. And it's real fun. Um, mm. It does. It's probably one of the proudest things that I've ever, it's the thing that I've done in my life that I'm most proud of. Absolutely. Even if that's not as far as you want to go, pick an initiative, pick something that's close to your heart. Sometimes when you're volunteering, not only do you meet the people that you're helping, even the other volunteers, like it can just be so much fun for a day. Like it's, there's, it doesn't have to be this like, oh, I volunteered and spent this many of my hours volunteering. I can guarantee you that if you spend your time or your money for that matter, and you change someone's life with it, you get something out of it because it makes you feel real good. Like it, it is that, I don't know, it's, you, everyone should volunteer. I think that it should be a mandatory thing that you have to pay tax and volunteer. <laughs> it's good for the heart and soul. It is. 
Yeah, yeah I'm it. sure. I'm sure there's so many studies that could prove what you're saying for sure as well in terms of that. No, I just have so much respect for that. Like, as I mentioned with my role, but what you what you did with this is incredible. And how long has that foundation that you started been in, in existence in? You said you're no longer flipping burgers. So what has been your most recent <laughs> status with the foundation in terms of getting people involved to help you? I used to, I don't have the exact data off the top of my head. I should know this. We funded over 20 families since um, July of 2017. And we have seven, we call them FFS, FFS wish babies, mm. um, the family fertility fund. So we have seven children that are Earthside that we help their parents with funding. Yeah. And it's about three or four more on the way. And they, yeah, it's been incredible. We do, we've moved from the burger flipping. We have two biggest fundraisers that have happened previously. And then we have one that's going to be our biggest to date if we can sell out that's actually actively ongoing right now that it's in its first year. But typically in April is the Infertility Awareness Week. Um, mm. And we end the week with a walk in Saskatoon and a walk in Regina. Awesome. Um, the last two years, they haven't been able to happen. Yeah, but yeah. Um, we will be back in 2022, guns a-blazing. Um, and then we have a brunch gala in the fall which will be October 3rd this year. So we only missed one year from 2020 there. We were hoping in 2020, we had it all planned to bring it to Regina as well as Saskatoon. Um, with that being canceled last year and us not being sure whether we were going to reopen this year, we were unable to bring it to Regina as planned. So we are just doing one in Saskatoon. So, But it will be our third annual Brunch for Babies Gala. We had our first gala in 2018. We sold out the top of the end at 110 people. Our next year, we went to Remy, hoping that we could grow into that room. And we sold out that room in our second year. Wow. Um, and tickets are, I had to put the tickets on hold because I think that we've already sold out and I haven't done the seating arrangement yet. So I might <laughs> yeah. be, I, there might be three to five more tables that I might be able to release tickets for, but we're planning on being sold out at 280 at the Besbro this year. Wow. And so these galas out. have really, really taken off. Yeah. And we've That's sold amazing. Two- um, there's 230 t- like, seats reserved already for the October one. Um, and then right now we're currently raffling off 2021 Chevrolet Traverse Redline Premier Edition. Um, tickets are $40 and that'll, the vehicle will be raffled off um, at the end of the month. Wow. Congratulations, first of all. Thank and you. again, just seeing the growth definitely i don't know we may have to do another one where we just talk about this foundation <laughs> and uh how you really got the tools to set it up the way you set it up one pattern i do see with both is that you had an interest in changing people's lives so whether it's your for profit job versus the nonprofit situation it's it seems like the theme for you as an individual from what i'm hearing is what can I do to help better these individuals' lives? So it's kind of cool because I think when your values are there and you find the things that you like, you can actually recreate that in different spaces. So it's really cool to hear. And yeah, congrats to you on both. And thank you so much for sharing the value today. Um, Where can our audience find you? And uh, is there anything you want our audience to know about to support you in? Uh, yeah, just head to our website. It's www.familyfertilityfund.com. You can Google us. We have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. On Instagram, I'm Danny YXE because um, I am not 
creative in some regards. So that was <laughs> and yeah, we would love to see, we'd love to see you at an event or um, buy a raffle ticket for the vehicle. SMP um, is helping us sponsor that one. So they've been fabulous to deal with. So that's, yeah, it's good. And we just funded more families and our application will open up again in the next couple of months. So if anyone's out there that's listening, that needs to, you know, that would need some help in funding for their um, treatment, the grants are $5,000 typically, they can apply and believe the application process should be open in September, October. We just changed it this year. We used to read them over Christmas and it was just a lot of work over Christmas. So we just changed Oh yeah, the <laughs> I can only imagine. We yeah. The schedule now. So, but the, we should have another round of granting happening in the next month or two. So if anyone's needing help or resources there, just look us up. That's awesome. Uh, thank you again, Danny. I've been super inspired by this uh, episode. And thank yeah, you. just thank you for being on the show and sharing your value with the audience today. Well, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.